can't get away from the sensual movements. It's part of my back and my legs and the way that I move. I, I cannot <laughs> escape it. Even, even when I used to compete without heels and people were like, that was, you know, that was great, but it was very, very sexy. I don't know if you were trying to be sexy. It was very sexy. I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll lean into the sexy then. And that's how I started doing all of that. So if, if you find that that, uh, you know, dancing like me helps you feel sexy, then that's great. I don't teach kind of like, and now we're going to do this sexy thing. You know, I don't, I don't teach it in that way. I'm like, if you want to move in this way, then it's going to look a little bit more like this. But with pole, you have to, you know, you're, you're upside down. You have, you're holding your leg. You're, you're trying not to fall. And then I'm telling you, okay, now be sexy as well on top of that. It's like, it's not going to happen. I'm going to help you smooth out your lines and I'm going to help you feel comfortable. And I feel like when people feel comfortable, then they can start finding their own voice in pole and their own movement. And then they'll start being like, oh, this is pretty sexy. I feel pretty sexy. And that's great. Yeah. <laughs> into the void. No, but for real, it is so good to be back after break. And I have some news. We've been working on a new series with a new co-host and we are having a launch party at Signature Brew Haggiston in London on the 12th of March, 2023. So come, it will be chaos. There will be comedy. There will be live pole dancing performances. Already pole dancing and podcasting is a testing combination. So why not try to do a live broadcast? Thank you and sorry to Magenta Bridges, who is producing this. Anyway, that is the welcome back admin. I've been super stoked about this episode where I interview Leanne Cummins. Leanne is a multiple competition winning pole dance performer, a pole instructor and sex worker from Ireland, now based in Canada. I really wanted to speak to a pole dancer about copying because the number one sin in comedy is stealing someone else's material. Like, honestly, it's worse than if you did a murdering, probably. But also, everyone learns by copying their heroes. So how do you use your influences without becoming a plagiarist? It was great to talk to Leanne about this, about her unique pole dancing style and her own journey into pole dancing. Side note, I love getting gossip about pole world. It's so refreshing after the comedy industry because in pole, if there's bad news about someone, it's because they steal material and they're a narcissist. In comedy, it's because they steal material and they're a sex offender. Life's rich tapestry. If you would like, you can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash shandoxy. Otherwise, enjoy this episode, tell your friends, come to our party on March 12th, and here's Leanne. Hello, Leanne. 
Anne, thank you Hi. so much for coming on the show. How are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. You're out in Canada. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, I'm here in Vancouver. It's like a, a really nice sunny day. Let's start at the very beginning with the lore, the myth, the legend. How did you start pole dancing? It's kind of a nice story. And it's one that I've heard from a few different students is that I was going out with someone who wasn't great. And they said, oh, I would never want you to be doing pole dancing lessons. So naturally, I really wanted to start pole dancing that. You know the way it's always seemed to be on like morning TV and it's like new fitness craze with celebrities and things like that. And it like gets picked up every so often. So I think I saw it on morning TV with my mom and I was like, mom, that looks really cool and really fun. I would love to do that. I was in college at the time and a friend of mine was like, oh, let's, uh, let's go. I know where they teach it. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. And it was on every Tuesday. And then she texted me, she was like, actually, I'm busy every Tuesday for the next six Tuesdays, so I can't do it. And I had never done anything kind of on my own, especially fitness related things. It's a really poor culture for that with uh, girls, especially in Ireland, how like it, the drop off rates are crazy as every year you get older, everyone does the same level of activity in school, sports and everything. And then 11, it's a little bit less, 12 is a little less, 13, way less, 14, 15, 16, you're doing nothing. So I'd really gotten out of the habit of doing anything. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna go on my own. I'm gonna see what it's like. And it was it was an adventure. So that's how I started. It was like really simple classes in the basement of a hotel, like a function room. And they had no mirrors, 50 millimeter poles. So way thicker than the average poles that we use now. Super low ceilings. We all wore like runners, like trainers to do pole dancing, which is so funny. They put the poles up and took them down for the classes. And they moved around the city and did classes all around the city like that. Already, I love the, the moral of the story with the guy you were seeing not being into it. Is Spite is a powerful motivator. Oh my gosh. Thing. Yes. Especially <laughs> at that age. Like I was 21. So over 10 years ago and I loved it. Yeah, I was like, hey, I'm doing this cool thing and I'm doing it myself. And my parents really loved that I was doing it as well. And my dad actually paid for most of my my first terms of pole until I started doing it like three times a week. He was like, you're on your own. That's so cool. The biggest supporter of this podcast is my mom. Ah, yay! Yeah, yeah. I think partly because because I started in strip clubs and I had the kind of classic story of like, it takes a couple of years, then you come out to your mom and blah, blah, blah. And it's the like, yeah. ugh. But mm-hmm. for her, she's got really excited about this world of pole that's really interesting. It's also just kind of curious about, like you're saying, suddenly you're doing like five classes a week and you're like, what's my life? Like the kind yeah. of level of obsession just gets people. Oh. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it is my full-time career as well. So and I am lucky that my parents love it. And, you know, my dad's always, always, you know, liking my Instagram posts and showing my competition videos to people and things like that. My mom came to a competition before. Yeah, I'm really lucky. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's great. <laughs> How long were you dancing for before you started 
competing was it really quick? yeah it was pretty quick i mean if you if you forget about that kind of first year where i was just dabbling when i started doing it i started doing two classes in a row and then another class oh my god i remember being in so much pain when i started doing more than two classes a week i was like oh this is what it is it was around the time in dublin that it was a quite an exciting time in pole where the first studios were being opened the first proper not in the basement of a hotel studios the instructors there were really eager to have their students represent the studios in competitions. Now, the competitions were exi had existed already. So it would have been, you know, the likes of Arlene and Terry and people like that had been competing in them and then opening their studios and then their students would start competing in those competitions. So it was actually pretty quick. I think I was only doing pole multiple times a week for maybe less than a year. Did my first competition, which was Pole Princess. That was when I was like, oh, I, I really love this. But it was my first ever time on stage as well. Oh my, my first time dancing in front of anybody in, yeah, intermediate level pole princess. But yeah, you can definitely start competing after a year or you could start competing after six years or you never have to compete. And uh, each, each journey is just as valid for sure. It's something that because the pole industry is completely new to me, I feel like such a baby. Yeah. Is the reason that studios encourage their students and instructors to compete, is it like getting a good review for a show? Is it like it, it bumps up the status of the studio somehow? At the time, I think that really was it because kind of promoting a studio to a wider audience. I mean, there are difficulties with it is still now um, and newer ones. But at the time, it was like quite difficult to get the word out about it. Uh, so it was a really good way of showcasing your students, but also the reason why I competed was because it was the only way to perform at the time. There were very few events happening in Dublin with pole. There were very few opportunities to actually get up and, and show people what you were doing. The studios were also new that there weren't the student showcases that we have these days either. So I was like, oh, okay, well, the only way that I'm going to, you know, get really good at this and show people is to compete. And at the time as well, it, there was like an unwritten rule that if you won, you got to be an instructor. So I started teaching straight away after that. Right. Wow. Such an interesting setup of like formal and informal kind of at the same time yeah exactly and i mean now we have expert training courses we've got so many different certificates you've got spin city you've got online stuff you have in-person things and i've done all of those since then but uh at, yeah at that time i won an intermediate level pole competition and then that was it then i started teaching oh, wow. <laughs> so you've also worked in strip clubs so have experience dancing in those contexts. How is dancing in strip clubs different from pole tour in studios? It's way more different than I could have ever imagined. Like way more different. I was doing pole in a studio setting and competitively and professionally teaching for many years before I started going into the clubs. I'd been in and out a little bit before I started actually working properly. I had done so much pole <laughs> when I got into the, the club in Dublin. I was like, oh, 
Oh, right. Oh, this is this is completely different. I was back to the 50 millimeter pole. I was back to carpet on the stage, the low ceilings. There's very little culture of stage shows in Dublin and in the rest of Europe. So when I actually, I was like, oh, there's a pole here. I'm going to use it. The girls were like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> why are you on that stage? I was like, we're dancing, right? And they were like, no, we, no one uses that. So yeah, it's very different. It, for me, it really depends on your audience. And thankfully at this point, I had performed in many, many different settings. So I'd performed in circuses, I'd performed for charity events, I'd performed as a judge at competitions, at showcases, informally and formally. You adjust to your audience. And when your audience is mostly drunk men, you adjust as well. It's a fine balance of like not intimidating them too much and trying to showcase what you can do as well. For stage shows, I guess, or competitions, how do you start developing a routine for a performance? Does it start with the music or the moves or an aesthetic, obscure references, What what's the beginning point? And this is a question that I actually asked a lot of people when I was going to workshops. I was like, how does this happen? For me, it can be any one of those things. So it's often an obscure reference. Cool. I studied English literature and I have a, a degree and a, a master's then in popular literature. And a lot of my routines come from that. They're based on, they have a lot of literary references. I've made routines where it started from the costume up or a song. People, most people think it starts with the song. The song is, the, is rare. <laughs> it's usually more a character. And then I try to find a song. I could see something in a movie and I'm like, okay, well, I want to emulate that. I want to represent that. For example, when I was leaving Ireland, I did a very long, sad routine <laughs> so uh yeah things like that i said more more into emotions and character based marion cramp said that she she follows all fine art pages on instagram and olga coda once said that she she tries not to look at other people's instagram pages and you know you're trying to find inspiration from other things is there a particular example of a routine that came from an emotion or an obscure reference like you mentioned the departure from Ireland one being the starting point for a show can we talk through the process of putting that together Arlene Caffrey in Irish Pole Dance Academy has uh, a few showcases every year, which is amazing. They're really great opportunities for instructors and for students. And she has one called November Spawned a Monster. We all dance to the Smiths. <laughs> so we, yeah, we dance to the Smiths. So um, so I, I danced to a song called I Know It's Over, which is truly one of the saddest songs of all time. And I love dancing to sad music. And after that, it was actually the, I think it was the next showcase was when I was actually leaving. And then I danced to the same song, but with different intentions. That's how, that's how I ended up dancing to that song. I was like, I'm just going to do the same song again. It's so good. Honestly, way more upsetting. <laughs> I was so sad leaving and all my students being there. Is there a signature Leanne move and what does it look like? It is a side spin. So it's your inside arm on the pole and your inside leg hooked on the pole. And then you spin forward, spinning pole, obviously love spinning pole. Mm -hmm. But then I, I do a few different things in that move. 
And one of the things that I do is a twist. So I'll change the hands and I'll twist. So you'll see like a lot of butt spinning around. And I'll have like hand in the hair and butt spinning as well. And then I, I tend to do a couple of different things out of that. And I'll usually morph that in some way in every routine that I do. It can have maybe there's like six different tricks that could go in there, depending on the music or my costume or my mood or whether I'm freestyling or not. I'm most often freestyle is uh, I'll like pick three and I'll put that in there. Um, but it is that side oh. spin. So that's so interesting. So there's like a there's like a core setup move yeah. and then other things that like branch out from it depending yes. on what routine is. <gasps> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about copying because mm-hmm. copying people is an essential part of learning. For you, what's like the difference between learning moves and taking ideas from other dancers and stealing someone else's material i tend not to directly copy them i will try to adapt it for my body and see how it's going to work for me so i would say i would be inspired by a certain trick or movement and then beyond that i will think, okay, and how would this work for my students? So if you have the start product and the end product can be very, very different. Mm. So it could literally be, I'm like inspired by uh, like one Olga Coda trick. And then after various iterations, it doesn't even look like that at all (laughs) it just has the same vibe (laughs) so that's how i personally find that it works for me if i have been taught something directly and i am then directly reproducing it i will say this person taught me that an interesting parallel with comedy because what you described is like just replicating what you've seen that would be like stealing someone's joke right but then the kind of intention you described of like oh this person did a joke about i don't know brexit or whatever Mm -hmm. and the idea behind that is really interesting Mm -hmm. someone else taking that and putting into i guess for a comic it's like your own persona instead of how your body moves or like your style of storytelling or joke telling it's such an interesting thing that the thought process is really similar. I think in a lot of creative industries, it is like that. And when, if you kind of break it down and and have an, an analogy in another industry, you can see how it does work. It is important to credit people and to honor people when it's like their direct work, but getting really hung up on it all the time is, is exhausting as well. So you mentioned seeing a move, for example, from Olga Coda or Marlo mm-hmm. Fiskin, and then finding a way that it suits your body and the end result can be completely different. How as a dancer did you yeah. develop that understanding of your own style? Yeah, so uh, for, for me, it was, it was quite a difficult journey because when I started dancing, because it was so long ago, we had the moves and they had to look like that. Mm-hmm. And in certain areas of pull, they're really trying to push that and you have to look like that uh, or, you know, you don't get points in your competition and things like that. You know, you haven't done a jade unless it looks like this. And because I was always physically quite different to my peers, moves did look different on me. I have a very, very naturally bendy back. I am very lucky. I have side bend. I have back bend. I'm also, I have l- like long, thin limbs. I tended to look different than the, the people that were teaching 
teaching me. Mm. So kind of just fell into my own style with things. I was like, okay, well, this is how it looks on me. And, and I have to, I have to learn how to accept that. And then when I started teaching, I was like, these look different on everybody. This is great. I like this. This is how this person does it. Oh, this is how this person does it. And I see how they've worked around something here or they're using their natural ability and their flexi legs. Or even if you have like extensions in your hair, you're going to do something a little bit differently. And I think that that's incredible. And now that's something that I'm trying to help people find is finding their own style with things, which is very difficult, but really rewarding do you ever see something that you're interested in trying but you're thinking my frame just doesn't work for this or is there always something that you can find as an adaptation yeah I think I definitely do see things and I'm like that might work and then I'm like no it does not work It could, it could even be injury-based, like quite a, quite a tight right shoulder. And then I have uh, smashed the top of my tibia. So I avoid overlocking my left leg. So I won't do a Russian split, for example. You know, I had a student ask me last week, she was like, do you do them? Will you spot me? I was like, don't do them, we'll spot you. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it pole is for everybody. Not every move will work exactly the same for everybody body and that's really that's something that's amazing about pole I think that's great it's so cool that like it's not limitations it's an opportunity to go hey there's a whole other area of stuff that will really work for your body yes exactly and it's you don't have to do things to be a pole dancer you know you don't have to go upside down to be able to do an entire routine you you don't have to do a handspring you know all of these things are there if you want to try them and you want to find a way that works for you but there are so so many different things that you can do you will be able to find something cool can we explain for the podcast but also for me what's the difference between Mm. lyrical and russian and these like subgenres of pole i'd like to preface it by saying that you don't have to pick you don't have to pick one at any one moment even in one routine if you wanted to categorize things in a positive way (laughs) i think it was jordan kensley described uh russian as fuck you and classy as fuck me (laughs) yeah so you have that classic stripper style cheeky and fun and cute and sexy then russian is Mm. is what i makes a lot of sense to me is to say hard style what it actually is in russian doesn't actually translate but plastique is what they call it is being very intentional with your movements all the way down to your fingertips usually with knee pads and acrobatic movements and then lyrical is anything very emotive long lines and or can be a specific style of music salsa broadway things like that as well wow it's so cool how yeah like you said the the definitions are like take them or leave them right and categories constantly shift i love that distinction between classic being like come here and yep. being like fuck yep. off that's so yeah, cool that's, it works well <laughs> so you were based in ireland and you're currently in canada have you found the pole industry is completely different in another part of it's the world similar and different there are way less workshops over here geographically people don't travel it's not something i anticipated moving here either but it's 
I'm far away now and I'm far away from Europe and from Russia. Um, back home in Ireland, we had people teaching workshops every weekend. We had people coming from, from all over uh, to teach in all different studios. And over here, it is much more difficult for people to come here visa-wise and the current and the travel so there are less active workshops over here so that's that's one way that it's different so you have people who have been doing pole for maybe six years in the same studio and they don't do workshops with people i mean now with zoom and everything they can which is great but yeah the you know that's 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 one way that it is different um yeah it's also much more the studios that i'm in are incredibly professional and high level kind of commercial spaces they are a much bigger operation than i know of anywhere else there are four studio locations for tantra in vancouver and there are two studio spaces in each of those studios and they are massive and they are many, many more poles. So I came from Irish Pole Dance Academy, which is could be described as a boutique pole dancing studio experience, which I love. It was incredible being able to teach there. We had six poles and we had two per pole. I teach in one of the studios here in Tantra, and I think there are 22 poles. Oh my god. Yeah, so I get my own pole and everyone gets their own pole for most of the classes. Whoa. So I'm teaching in this in this massive space and there's a huge energy in the room and it's sweaty and it's loud and it's really really great. And then there are the dance rooms, so they're big open spaces where you can teach floor work and you can teach splits. There are classes on all day in boat spaces so if you 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 can have whatever you want it there's such a variety here it's incredible oh i'm hoping that in in dublin you know that pole will continue to grow it's fun here <laughs> there are like 55 <laughs> instructors i think at tantra everything in america and canada is just bigger <laughs> yeah, you are not wrong i remember when i first went to body and pole in new york and i was like wait you have more than one studio in this space and they're like yes we have five so i was like what yeah. <laughs> wow it blows my mind like um it's kind of similar to what you were describing as starting in the basement of a hotel the first place i ever took yeah. a pole class was not a squat, but like a community organizing space for sex workers, strippers, yeah. and activists. And there was one pole up and we all just kind of took it in turns. And then when I went to a studio, it was Tequila Rose had created a pole studio in her oh, yeah. Um, yeah, backyard, which had three poles. And that felt huge. I mean, 20 poles mm -hmm. just sounds like there a There are jungle. some studio locations over here with fewer poles um, and I teach in a few different locations. So great to have that variety. I have students who, who came to me from Paris and they started in, in strip clubs, but during the day they would teach pole dancing there. So I think if there is a, as you were saying with the community space and with the backyards, there is this culture of uh, perseverance and this, this DIY 
culture in pole. I mean, Tantra didn't start with four studio locations and loads of poles in all the studios. You know, Tammy was was building it and building this community from the beginning as well, from something very small and similar to what I was in in Dublin. So there is an amazing like can-do attitude. Yeah. And coming here and seeing the result of that and just being like, wow, it, it's great. If you want doesn't exist yet, build it and just keep building it. You mentioned yeah. the overlap mm-hmm. between um, <laughs> strippers coming in to teach. And I get the impression that also a big yeah. way in to poll for people is taking a burlesque type of class or something that is overtly like, this is going to be sexy. And I've heard a lot of people just as a student with other people in the class um, talking about how poll has given them permission to like allow themselves to be more sexy or be more sensual. Do you think that's part of an instructor's job? I feel like it's part of my job to create a self, a, a safe space for people. And that's one of the things that I take very seriously. And then if you feel like that safe space allows you to explore this sensual side, then that is something that I would encourage and communicate with you about and then draw out of you. But I would, uh, me personally, my personal teaching style is I can't get away from the sensual movements. It's part of my back and my legs and the way that I move. I, I cannot <laughs> escape it. Even even when I used to compete without heels and people were like, that was, you know, that was great, but it was very, very sexy. I don't know if you were trying to be sexy. It was very sexy. I was like, oh, okay, maybe I'll lean into the sexy then. And that's how I started doing all of that. So if, if you find that that, uh, you know, dancing like me helps you feel sexy, then that's great. I don't teach kind of like, and now we're going to do this sexy thing. You know, I don't, I don't teach it in that way. I'm like, if you want to move in this way, then it's going to look a little bit more like this. But with pole, you have to, you know, you're, you're upside down. You have, you're holding your leg. You're, you're trying not to fall. And then I'm telling you, okay, now be sexy as well on top of that. It's like, it's not going to happen. I'm going to help you smooth out your lines and I'm going to help you feel comfortable. And I feel like when people feel comfortable, then they can start finding their own voice in pole and their own movement. And then they'll start being like, oh, this is pretty sexy. I feel pretty sexy. And that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's so. So that's the way that I do it. And the, and the way that I see it, if we're doing, if we're just doing tricks, uh, then, you know, if it happens, if it turns out to be sexy, that's great. That's a, that's a bonus <laughs> for me. Yeah. But, um, if someone asks me specifically, like, how can I make this like look better or feel better? then I will, I will help you for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's not like I go in and I'm like, now I'm going to make everyone look like a, a, a stage girl, you know, I'll help them feel that way if that's what they want. Yeah. I guess it's the thing of similarly that no one can teach someone how to be funny. People who are funny are all funny in their own way. And if you're mm-hmm. mimicking someone else's thing, people can tell it feels forced. It's just someone yeah. doing like a weird impression of something. It's just not coming from them. I guess it's the same with sexiness. It's not going to work yeah. if you're just trying to replicate move by move what someone else yeah. is doing. It's kind of a, you, you want it to come from a genuine place. And there are so many people who do poll who being sexy is not on their mind. And that 
is that's great you know do that and mm-hmm. I do that as well sometimes and some days I want to just dance and not worry about an audience or anyone else um some days I want to be sexy just for me some days I don't want to be and that's fine as well and you can always go to a pole class you could even go to an erotica floor work class and you can go to a heels class and you don't have to try to be sexy I think just even going at all is an adventure in itself either by yourself or with students or other dancers the intentions completely change like someone getting into pole because they wanted to do sexy stuff and then finding they're like oh i'm an acrobat or the other way around someone going i'm so into fitness and tricks and stuff and then discovering floor work or sensual stuff oh absolutely i've seen that so many times i think that i've learned the most i mean Uh, i've learned the most i mean i love taking workshops i love taking other people's classes i love taking workshops i love taking other people's classes i've learned the most from my students i've learned the most from my students And I've seen people completely come out of their shell, uh, whether that means they've gotten over their fear of heights or going upside down, or they've been incredibly acrobatic, but they can't move and flow around the pole. And I'm trying to help reprogram their brain in that way. I've seen people completely light up and, and become like be able to move in a way that they fall in love with. And I love that. I get a lot of requests for private lessons actually from people who are already incredible at pole, but don't know how to move from pole to pole, or they don't know how to, yeah, or they, they don't know how to put it all together and pull it all together. Yeah. That's so much fun as well. Cause I'm like, do these crazy <laughs> things and then I'll help you with all these little tiny pieces. So yeah, I've seen I've seen people change in so many different ways. It's not just a journey from not sexy to sexy. There's so many different ways the pole can change people. And I'm just constantly amazed at, at my students and, and how many things they've overcome. It's so interesting how even at like professional level you were describing people learning from each other like there's just a thing that you can do it's like a gap in people's vocabulary of not being able to go from pole to pole yeah that's really cool that there's always more <laughs> always more that people can find always on the theme of copying and borrowing There's a lot of borrowing from stripper culture that happens in every pole studio, right? Inevitably. But I've heard like really grim stories about Mm -hmm. strippers not being allowed to teach in studios or certain competitions, excluding people who've worked in adult entertainment. Do you think the pole industry as a whole is getting better at including sex workers or does it still have work to do? There'll always be work to do. That's, that's our, that's, unfortunately our reality um as sex workers there's just always going to be more work to do i feel like it's gotten a lot better (laughs) and a lot worse so when i when i started and i can only speak to when i started in dublin and the landscape then and it was very dublin based because there were three pole dancing videos on youtube and they were all felix kane and that was it and and bendy kate was kind of going on got to dance and shows like that in the UK. But other than that, there were no, there was no social media to do with pole dancing at the time. So just when I started, no one talked about strippers. <laughs> no one talked about strip clubs. No one talked about it. And it was this like unspoken thing. And it was like, I was like, but that's why we're all here, right? Like we saw Sin, we saw Sin City, you know? 
like, no, <laughs> just me. It was very strange. And I was like, okay, is this like a completely different thing? I don't understand what's happening here. And now we all talk about it all the time. And that's great. Um, but it does mean that some people are talking about it in, with sex workers rights to the forefront and being like, okay, this is the conversation that we need to have. And these are the things that we need to, to talk about. And then it means that some people are like, yeah, but I'm not a stripper. And yeah, but that's not what we do here. Yeah, there's like, there's a lot of discourse now, which is good but there's more opportunity as well for people to kind of distance themselves from everything it's so interesting to hear people's personal experiences of what it's like from country to country as well as from studio to studio because my friend kelly who teaches in london but is from australia and yeah she you know Mm -hmm. found felix kane who seems to be like you know how like there's like one universal common ancestor it seems to be like that's felix kane yeah that's it kelly was saying that like and she's always careful to not like dick on the uk too much but she said that in Australia. Of course. You wear heels at your pole classes because the link between stripper culture and pole is like, why why would anyone pretend that this isn't where it comes from? And yeah, whereas in the UK she found it as a bit more like it's it's improved a lot, but it's kind of like weirdly like hush hush. And she just found that bizarre. I don't think that it's uh I don't think that it's the the studio's fault entirely or in these specific countries fault entirely like the club that i worked in in dublin we did not advertise that we did not let women in most of the Mm. time we couldn't do these things because it had to be a secret because that's the history in dublin and in ireland with these things is to keep it secret and to push it down so then when you go to a pole studio and people are like oh you're wearing heels it's it's part of the country it's part of the discourse there and i think that now pole studios are doing a lot of work to change that there's still a huge amount of stigma obviously i'm in my bubble (laughs) you know but it's a great bubble to be in at the moment and i love it yeah, I know the feeling. So, so yeah, but within my bubble, everyone is like, those girls kill it and those dancers kill it. And those stage shows are 25 minutes long and they are dancing and dancing and dancing the whole time. And it is interactive and they dance five times a night and it's incredible. And they dance five nights a week. It's wild, you know, it is yeah. completely different over here. And I feel like because of social media, hopefully, and because of like people traveling and when I go back to Dublin and I talk to my students about it and we all share these experiences, then hopefully things can start changing everywhere. Leanne, thank you so much. This conversation's been amazing. This has made me so excited about Paul. Where can people find you online? And is there anything else that you'd like to promote or amplify? For me, I'm Leanne Dance Dance on Instagram. I do have an Admire Me, which is a paid platform similar to other ones that are doing us dirty at the moment but it is for content that I can no longer post on Instagram because of it being ever so slightly more explicit so I make custom content and stuff on there if that's what you're interested in and then also I teach online and I teach at Tantra obviously in Vancouver they have a lot of online resources that is where you can find me and I would just encourage people to kind of do a little bit of research into the origins of pole and then have your own journey with us.
try to respectfully develop your own style and learn from lots of different people. Paul the Other One was created by me, Shandoxy. This episode was edit produced by Magenta Bridges with original music by Amelia Baylor. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to help us keep making it, you can support us on Patreon on patreon.com slash Shandoxy. Thank you. We love and appreciate all of you keeping the sexy stick party moving. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Uh, enjoy your lives. Keep an eye out for news about series two and see you next time. Oh, yeah.